Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Your uh, eyes aren't broken. I am actually up here this morning. I don't know how this happened, but man, those songs went really fast. (laughs) And that's okay. Um, Maybe some of you don't know me. Uh, My name is Mike Okie. I'm one of the elders here uh, at Randall. Um, I've been coming to Randall for about, I think is pretty close to our eight-year anniversary uh, right now. So uh, it's been a joy getting to know uh, some of you. No, all of you. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a joy to get to know you. We have some dear friends here, dear family members. We really do love you guys, and thank you for ministering to us throughout the years and, and helping my family grow. Um, <clears throat> I remember one of my first jobs, I've had a few of them, uh, was at McDonald's. And I was a pretty proud young man to work at McDonald's uh, for four twenty-five an hour. Um, but, you know, it was great. I made some good friends there, and I was learning how to, uh, learning how to navigate the job life. <clears throat> um, my boss one day asked me, he says, we need you to close. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and close, which required mopping. And, I, you know, I had to learn how to mop. And I was like, man, that, how hard could it be? You know, I was just going to mop, right? So I got my, you know, my bucket and my mop, and I went out there, and I mopped. And McDonald's is greasy, nasty, you know, everything gets on the floor. It was, it was a tough, tough job to mop that, but I didn't try that hard. I was like, hey, everybody does it. This, this can't be that hard. So then afterwards, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the guy, uh, the manager comes and he looks around and uh, kind of does a final check on everything. <clears throat> and he says, uh, who mopped this floor? And he knew very much, he knew who mopped it because he told me to mop it, right? And I proudly said, well, I did, you, you know that. And he said, oh, okay. And he, he gave me a compliment. And I was pretty happy about that compliment. You know, I went home and I felt pretty, pretty good about myself. And my mom, the next day she says, how'd work go? I said, well, great, I got a good compliment. So, oh yeah, what, what'd he say? He said, I did a mediocre job. <laughs> so, I uh, learned as much of what I've done in my life, learning on the fly some of the vocabulary that, that makes up our language, and mediocre was, was one of those. Um, so I did a mediocre job mopping that floor. But what, what gets me is that that manager knew that I was the guy that mopped that floor, right? And he asked the question, who did this? It's kind of a rhetorical question, right? He knew the answer. Today we're looking at a song uh, called, What Child Is This? And this is not a mediocre song, not at all. And I do know what that word means now. Uh, <laughs> um, but it is a rhetorical question. You know, we, we just came through the Christmas season and thank goodness some of the decorations are still up because that would be awkward, talking about a Christmas song with no Christmas decorations. Um, but uh, <clears throat> so, so here we are. We know, most of us, I'm sure in this room, know who Jesus is, the little, at least the little figurine that sits in, in the manger, right, in, in our nativity scenes. So that rhetorical question, what child is this, at the, the song title, most of us know that. And I don't think that's the point, to describe, to tell everybody who, you know, yeah, we know this is Jesus this song is talking about. There's a uh, couple of ornaments that... Uh, are dear to my heart. Um, one of them is this pig right here. 
Now, <laughs> there's a story behind it. Uh, the Germans have this thing called uh, uh, Gluck, Gluck, Gluckenschwein. I, I don't know. Is there any Germans in the room? <laughs> I see some pointing going on, but nobody wants to say anything. Uh, Gluckschwein. It means basically good luck pig. Well, the reason that our tree is adorned with numerous pigs, I'm talking dozens of pigs are on our Christmas tree. This is, this is an important thing in our house. Um, is because my wife, for some reason, decided not to eat pork one day. Now, this was a long time ago when we were still dating. Uh, one of her coworkers told her how, they, how pigs meet their demise before they get turned into delicious bacon and things like that. And ever since then, she's not partaken in the swine meat. Uh, some of our close friends know this. Uh, the, the Smiths we know that when we come to their house, there's got to be two kinds of bacon. Well, there's really only one kind of bacon, and then there's fake bacon, right? The, the, uh, the turkey stuff that comes out of a press. Uh, so people know this about us. But our tree is adorned with all these pigs because people thought it was funny that they should give us pigs for Christmas because to make fun of my poor wife who doesn't eat pork anymore, <laughs> right? And for two years, being the doting husband that I, that I was when we first got married, we're first dating and engaged, I swore off the swine myself. I didn't touch it for two years because I love my wife, and I still do love my wife. However, <laughs> there was one day when I met my just, it was, it, it was, it was just a perfect day. I, this day remains one of my favorite days of all time. I was at work and we were doing this thing called inventory and it was catered, a catered breakfast. And they had a pile of sausage, breakfast sausage links and sausage patties. And I shook and I, everything I could not to touch the swine, but I partook and I partook hard <laughs> that day. I could have slid home how greasy I was after that. And since then, I have not turned back. I, I, still eat, I still eat a good pig every now and then. But we moved on in our family. We're no longer buying pigs. Um, so, but they still adorn our tree, and, and this guy's kind of cool. Um, he might have been one of the first ones, I don't know. But now we have just regular old ornaments. And uh, what we do have a lot of now are, are nativity sets. Nicole has an affinity for nativity sets. She buys them whenever she can, and they also stay up all year long, some of them. I mean, we got to be realistic here. You know, like, Nicole, you can't have them all out there all the time. So now we have these nativity sets. And it reminds me of our, our song today that we're going to be looking at. And one of my favorite ornaments that I want to share with you too is this little egg right here. There's nothing really special about it. It says made in China. I don't even know where it really came from. I, I can't remember. I know it's been in our tree for a long time. But inside of it, it's hollow. There's a little music box in there. And uh, every year, you know, you spend so much money on Christmas presents, right? I always think, that, man, I'm gonna just slip a $100 bill in there, you know, for next year so that we open it up and there's an extra 100 bucks that we can buy our, our dinner with or whatever for Christmas. But I never do because there's never any money left, right, after Christmas. <laughs> but, you know, the, this egg is special too, and it really always has been, and you open it up, it's got music in it. I don't know if you can hear this. Does that work? That's the tune. That's the tune of what child is, is this. 
At least I hope it is, my gosh, because I've been singing that in my head for the last, for the last three weeks, saying, yeah, this is going to work, and everybody's going to love it. So, so, but it is special to me, and it's also special to my son, uh, Simon, too. This is his favorite ornament. <clears throat> but it is kind of an odd name for a song. I'm going to go ahead and open up, up, open up in prayer here before we get started and getting into God's Word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be able to share your word today, God. I pray that, God, you can spiritually unplug our, our ears and our hearts so that we can receive your word, Father, and that we can learn about you and who you are and what you've done for us, God, so that when we leave here today, we can be changed, Father, and we can live our lives for you and that we can be closer to you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So it is kind of an odd name for a song. And this lines up uh, what uh, John MacArthur actually calls a Christmas theology. Uh, if we look at uh, Philippians uh, chapter two, verses five through 11, and I'm not gonna cover every verse today, I don't think we're gonna have enough time to really give it that much, but we're gonna get a little bit of overview. Uh, I have it up on the screen here if you guys would like to to read it with me, I'd, I'd really appreciate that. <clears throat> In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature a God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, the name that, <clears throat> that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thanks for reading that with me. Up here, I think we're going to put the song, one of the song's first stanzas. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthem sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? I was lucky enough to have a wife who's an artist, so I'm going to put her on display a little bit today, too. I asked her to make some of the slides for me. Um, what child is this? Why is that a rhetorical question in here? It is an odd name for a song. As I said, most people would recognize that this is Jesus. See, some questions aren't for just solving problems or trying to find out information. Some questions are asked to bring awe or to bring a deeper understanding of what we might already know the answer to. It expresses awe and wonder about something we know to be true but find almost too good to be true. What child is this? See, the song stanzas take us through kind of three movements in order to answer that <clears throat> too good to be true question. What child is this? <clears throat> the song was written by a man uh, named William Chatterton Dix. Uh, he, lived in, he was born in Bristol, England in 1857, 
and he, has, uh, he was a son of a fa- uh, he was a son of a of, of an author and a surgeon uh, who actually was uh, became an alcoholic and and was a, a big problem for his father. Um, and he had, his father actually moved away when he was eight years old and came to the came to the United States, and then um, moved back briefly. But basically, William's father was was gone most of his life. At the time that this was written, see, William got sick, and he was sick for several months, and he was laid up in bed. When he got sick back then, there, you just basically had to wait it out. You know, it wasn't a it wasn't a quick thing. He was in bed for several months, and during that time, he wrote possibly between forty and sixty hymns. Maybe some of you know some of the hymns from, from William uh, Dix, uh, and this is one of them. Actually, the original title of it was The, the Manger Throne, um, which I think is a great title, but it later was changed to uh, What Child Is This? probably sometime after the Civil War. <clears throat> you see, what William wanted to get into this song was that we, he, wanted to, he wanted us to really understand the awe of who Jesus was. And I think he wanted to, to understand who the human Jesus was. See, Jesus was both God and human in the same person. It's called the incarnation. There's, a, there's another word that I had to learn over again recently, right? Something we don't talk about all the time. Maybe at Christmas time we do. But that's a good word, not like mediocre. <clears throat> See, at the very doorway of this, this, this passage, we're confronted with the great fact that Jesus pre-existed his human form. Jesus always was. He was always there. He was always been God. And now, at Christmas time, we celebrate his coming to us in human form. And we, we should think about what he gave up. Can you go back to the, to the uh, previous slide, please? What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? See, it's not talking about God there. It's talking about the human baby, Jesus. See, Jesus was born. He, he had flesh. He cried. Fathers in this room who've uh, gotten the experience of of being able to be in the delivery room with your wife when your first child was born. It, it's an awe-inspiring thing, kind of scary. <laughs> it scared me. But there was so much joy after Phoebe was born, I remember, that, that we both cried. I mean, there was just, just crying that, that happened. You know, I'm a crier, but Nicole's really not. But to see my wife cry was, made me cry even harder. <laughs> but there's so, much that, there's so much humanness that happens when a baby's born, right? I mean, they're still attached to, to the mother, and it, the, the cord has to be cut, right? And then, then the father and the mother, they want to check to make sure everything's there, right? The dad's like, yeah, it's a boy. <laughs> That's number one. Well, sorry, Phoebe. We love you too. <laughs> but then you count the fingers and the toes, and it dawned on me, this is the first time in human history that we were able to count the hairs on Jesus' head. Can you think about that? We could actually count the hairs and the toes and the fingers that are on Jesus' head. And that baffled because 
That's, that's what happened. He was born into a human form. Incredible. It's incredible. <clears throat> See, Jesus himself claimed his own pre-existence. He often proclaimed his eternal existence to those around him. John 6, he said that he came down from heaven. And he later indicates that he will return to where he came from. John 8, 58 says, he said, before Abraham, I am. The Jews understood his claim because the text tells us that they, were immediate, they immediately picked up stones with the intention of killing him. For the, they recognized that he was implicitly identifying himself as God. And they thought he was guilty of blasphemy. They were going to kill him right there. So we must never allow the incarnation of Christ to fade in our minds, that he was in human form. He was a baby. He had an umbilical cord. I can't hardly say that word. <laughs> it's too many vowel, or consonants. <clears throat> but we must never allow the incarnation of Christ to fade in our hearts. Jesus is the human name of God, and we cannot and we should not confuse that truth. See, the incarnation is not just the deifying of man, it is, the hum- uh, is not the deifying of man at all. It is the humanizing of God. It is not the rising, it is not man rising into Godhood, it is God condescending into manhood. In his incarnation, we are perfectly united with the man as he had always been and remained, perfectly united with God. When God became a man in the incarnation of Christ, for the first time in his existence, he had substance. He had the hair. He had the fingers. We could count. We could weigh him. One of the the books that was recently shared with me, actually, I'm supposed to give it to somebody else, but it kind of commandeered at first. Uh, um, (laughs) Sorry, Walter. (laughs) Uh, There's a a book by C.S. Lewis called um, Mere Christianity. And then that, uh, I want to share with you one thing he wrote uh, that I thought was pretty amazing. He says, did, and I'm not going to use a cheesy uh, British voice, so bear with me here. You know, just think about C.S. Lewis. Did you ever think when you were a child what fun it would be if your toys could come to life? Well, suppose you could really have brought them to life. Imagine turning a tin, sold, uh, tin soldier into a real little man. It would involve turning the tin into flesh. And suppose the tin soldier did not like it. He is not interested in flesh. All he sees is that this tin is being spoilt. He thinks you're killing him. He will do everything he can to prevent you. He will not be made into a man if he can help it. What would would you have done about that tin soldier, I do not know. But what God did about us was this. The second person in God, the Son, became human himself, was born into the world as an actual man, a real man of particular height, with hair of a particular color, speaking a particular language, weighing so many pounds, the eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but a babe. And before that fetus inside a woman, and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think of how you might like to become a snail 
or a crab. So what child is this? This is the great creator who has become a creature in his own creation in order to create both this, uh, to recreate both the sin-tainted creation and the sin-infected creature, us, man. See, he is our last Adam, being sure that he is both God and man, voluntarily giving up his divine rights and advantages. See, the first Adam in Genesis did the opposite. He wanted to grasp or take away or snatch away from God what was rightfully God's. Adam wanted to be like God. Jesus came here as God in human flesh and gave himself up for us so that we can be reconciled to him. Go ahead forward, please, to the, to the next, yeah, thanks. The next verse says, the next stanza in the song says, why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian fear for sinners here, the silent word is pleading. <clears throat> mean estate, what does that mean? Something we don't really say anymore. Oh, I'm in such a mean estate right now. It's not that he was born in an angry place. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was a lowly place. As you see in, in the picture here, I picture it being dirty, right? Maybe our nativities are nice and neat and clean. Maybe, maybe they depict a, a beautiful scene, but there's no smell involved in that. There's no flies, at least I hope there's no flies in our nativity scenes in our houses. It was dirty. It wasn't a clean place. He was born just like a regular person, even maybe less than a regular person at the time. Maybe more like a slave he was born into. See, it was, it was, it, it was dirty. There was no clean place like we have in, in our hospitals where, where it's sterile and we're blessed to have that. This was, this was no place for a God, for God to be born into human flesh, but it was. Why lies he in such mean estate? He who was the greatest somebody in the universe became the least nobody in the universe for you. The King James Version explains it by saying, he made himself of no reputation and he humbled himself. The Amplified Bible says, he stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity. The Williams translation, says he laid it aside and he humiliated himself. The English Bible says he made himself nothing. All of these statements are attempts to explain one of the biggest words in the Bible. So the root word, and I'm no Greek theologian, <laughs> far from it. I defer to Brian on this and he can correct me later. <laughs> um, the root word is kenosis and it refers to a self-emptying of Jesus by coming to earth. But what did Jesus strip himself of? What did he empty himself of in coming to the earth? Jesus did not lay aside his deity or his divine nature. He couldn't lay aside his very nature. Did he strip himself of sinlessness? No, 
He was just as sure, assuredly sinless and perfectly pure on earth as he had always been from eternity. He stripped himself of the outward expression of his deity, the outward manifestation of his heavenly glory. He stripped himself of the expression of his deity, but he did not give up the possession of his deity. He was still God. He laid aside his glory, his privileges and majesty that he had always, that had always been his. The emphasis in all of the phrase, these phrases is, from, uh, is on the voluntary nature of Christ's actions. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He stripped himself. He became obedient to death. Philippians 2 verse 7 says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a certain servant being made into human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's a story that I found about a king or somebody who was going to be king And I don't think there's anybody in this room who would probably remember this. It's getting kind of old now, but some people here might. Um, Back in the, maybe the mid-1930s, there was a a king of England who was, was there was a duke who was about to be the king of England, the Duke of Windsor. He's a man at one time he was going to be the king, but he abdicated his throne and stripped himself of the royal vesture of his rightful office in order to marry a woman, Wallace Simpson. This was an American woman who had gone, I think, through a couple of divorces. Um, she was of no popularity with the uh, British royals, <laughs> uh, but he had fallen in love with this woman. And he was king for, I think, about a month, maybe six weeks. And he said, you know what, I, I love that woman. I, I'm, she's my wife. I'm going to marry that woman. I love her. I'm going to give up the throne of the greatest country possibly in the world at the time, one of them, to be with her. He was due to be king of England, and he was for a whole six weeks or so. Even so, Jesus abandoned the eternal throne of heaven that was his by right, in order to fully identify himself with you and me, whom he loved. For a moment, return to the human illustration that I just shared about about this king, and put yourself into the shoes of Wallace Simpson, that woman. When Mrs. Simpson was on the point of marrying the king of England, the newspapers at home and abroad said very, very unkind things about her. They told her, they told the world how she had already wrecked two marriages. They indicated that she would marry the king whether she loved him or not. She just wanted the position and the wealth. And all in all, they made out her out to be a rather cheap woman. We'll probably never know just what her reactions were to all this, but if she was a sensitive woman, she might have agonized over the reactions. But even if she felt unspeakably unworthy, she would have said something like this. The king of the greatest empire on earth has loved me enough to uncrown himself for me. Folks, the king of heaven 
has loved you enough to uncrown himself for you. And what should our response be? Personally, practically, what do we do? When we look at a person, at, at God, who came down and gave up his throne and gave up his crown to become a baby that we could hold and count. Such mean a state indeed, the birth conditions of a slave and the rights of the like. A slave has no rights of his own, no will of his own, no property of his own, and no schedule of his own. During his teenage years, Jesus probably served as an apprentice uh, carpenter to his father, Joseph. He is now making yokes, maybe making yokes for ox or cattle. But before he came, he was making worlds. He was forming planets. He created the stars and everything you see here. He gave it all up to come here for us. Let's go to the third one, please. Nails and spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Again, I want to share with you um, Philippians verse, uh, 2, verse 8. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus See, he who was actual life died. The text says that Jesus emptied himself and also speaks of his incarnation. Then, he says, as he humble, then it says he humbled himself and he speaks of his crucifixion. Jesus' Jesus's voluntary condescension was in two successive stages. First, he came to the earth and then he was on the earth and then he was humiliated, he was crucified. He died the death of, of, a, of a thief, or even worse, a murderer. Why is this important? I remember I was sharing a, a story with a, a really good friend of mine a couple days ago about when I was a teenager, and uh, I did some stupid stuff. <laughs> and I had just gotten my driver's license. Um, I'd had it maybe six months, but at this point, and me and my buddies, it was October 31st, which many of you might know is Halloween. Uh, and uh, a bunch of 16-year-olds in their dad's truck um, on Halloween are not a good mixture, especially where I grew up, out in, what would they call it? Potunk? <laughs> Nicole, Nicole's a city girl. We, uh, we did a lot of things that night. One of the things that we decided to do was go off-roading. Now. There's corn here in, in New York. We see corn in, in October. How tall is the corn, right? It's, you know, it's, it's above our heads. It's, it's getting ready to be, to be harvested. But I thought it would be a nice idea to take my dad's new truck and go make a path in that corn in Farmer Trinkley's cornfield. And I did so, and I, we drove in there, and we were hooting and hollering and having a great time, and me and my three buddies in the truck, until... I found the way they irrigate this field is with a ravine. <laughs> so you're going 30 miles an hour. You can't see anything in front of you. There's just corn just, just falling over. And I see the farmers in here like, you, I can't believe you did that, man. You're crazy. You should be in jail. 
And then we found that ravine and we were down nose deep in there. The back wheels of the truck were off the ground. And me and my 16-year-old buddies get out of the truck and we look around and we look at it and say, what do we do now? <laughs> it's one o'clock in the morning, my dad's sleeping. So I get this harebrained idea. Well, I'm gonna go down the road to my friend's house and see if he's awake. He's got a tractor. We're gonna pull this out of here, right? Nobody will ever know. <laughs> so I go down and knock on my friend's door. His dad answers the door, what's going on? I'm surprised he didn't have a gun in his hand, one o'clock in the morning. And he says, he's not home. And I said, could I borrow your tractor? <laughs> this guy had no idea who I was, right? <laughs> Just a punk. So that idea failed, so I had to move on to plan B. I had to call home, right? So I call home, and you know, the story's getting pretty old now. I probably walked home. I probably walked home, it wasn't that far. And my sister was there, and I remember talking to her, whether it was on the phone or in the house or whatever. And she said, you're in trouble. <laughs> and I told my mom, I woke her up, I said, I got the truck stuck. Oh, okay, you got the truck stuck. Well, that's not a big deal, let's, let's go get it out, right? So, but you gotta wake up your dad. And you never woke my dad up for anything, right? Now it's two o'clock in the morning, and my dad was grumpy as all get out in the first place, but when you wake him up at two o'clock in the morning, you get, it's, it's just ugly. So I go up, and I trudge up the stairs slowly, and dad, dad, I got the truck stuck. What? I got the truck stuck. And he comes down, he gets his clothes on, we go downstairs, we get in the car and we drive out there to Farmer Trinkley's road. So where's the truck? And I point to the field. <laughs> I said, Dad, it's out there. And silence. We get out of this car and we walk out there and we see the truck. And by this time, Farmer Trinkley had shown up. And he sees us and he says, hey, what are you guys gonna do about my corn? And he's getting ready to call Washtenaw County Police Department. And I said, oh man, I just got my driver's license. What's gonna to happen to me? I'm freaking out. I don't wanna lose my driver's license. I don't wanna to go to jail. I don't wanna do any of this. And my dad negotiated something with him. He said, Farmer Trinkley, what if, I came, what if we came and picked up all this corn for you? I mean, it's ripe, it's October. It's the end of October. We'll put it in the back of the truck and we'll, we'll We'll, we'll give it to you. Farmer Trinkley says, all right, you do that. I'll, I'll pull your truck out if you promise to be here tomorrow morning to pick up the corn. And my dad says, you have my word, my son will be here tomorrow morning to pick up this corn. So the next morning, it's Monday morning. I'm supposed to be in school. I'm, I'm a sophomore or something like that at this point, right? So I'm, I'm glad to have the day off, right? But I have to go pick up this corn, and I, I drove over probably a good half mile of corn. That's a lot of corn. Man, that's a lot of corn. So my dad drives me out there, and he's, supposed, he, you know, he's, he's dressed for work, he's ready to go. And he uh, opens the door and he gets out. He says, well, let's go pick up the corn. I looked at my dad, I said, you're, you're gonna help me? Yeah. So for hours that day, my dad stood by my side and he walked with me and we picked up every ear, well, probably close to every ear of corn that we ran over. His truck was damaged. He was late for work. He was sweaty. He had to take his tie off. Surprised he didn't hang me with it. <laughs> so I think about that when I think about Jesus. And my dad was not Jesus. There's no comparison there. My dad was a good man. But Jesus came down here in human flesh 
so that he could be with us, so that we don't have to walk this road alone. We're going to make mistakes. I made a lot. Eight years ago when we moved here, I made some huge mistakes then that I could tell you about another time. But God has always been there. He became human for us so that he could walk with us and pick up the corn. So he could walk with us and help us through those hard times when we mess up. Or maybe we didn't mess up. Maybe we're just having a hard time and Jesus wants to, he, he knows how we feel because he became human. And just like when my dad walked with me to pick up that corn, Jesus is gonna walk with you side by side through your life's troubles. You don't have to take the full punishment of the things you've done in your life. <clears throat> See, this last verse, this last stanza in the song, it's incredible. I asked Nicole to, to draw something, which is up there right now. Excuse me while I rifle through this again. This has got to be annoying. <laughs> um, but that last stanza of the song, could you just back up for a second on that, please? Nails and spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Now go back to the other one, the, to the picture, please. You see, Jesus led an obedient life. And that was the only way he could get to the cross is by, by being obedient to his father. So in, in this picture here, you see Jesus is a baby. He's born. He became human. He put on human flesh. He grew up. He remained sinless. He was a teenager. Then a man. He came alongside the disciples' lives and he, he changed their lives. He picked them out. These are guys you could find on a bar stool, these disciples. These aren't, these aren't guys that he picked out of church pews. No way. These are rough, tumbling guys. He picked them, he cleaned them up, and he made those guys the people who were going to take the word out into the world. So you see, Jesus, the baby, became a, a boy, and he grew up to be a man. And all the while, he was stumbling towards and working towards the cross. That day when he was going to become a sacrifice for our sins, to take the place of the punishment that we deserve. That's what this song tells me. I'm gonna ask the ushers uh, for, um, to come up. We're gonna do communion here in a little bit. Um, maybe in this new year, maybe you don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you've heard the songs. Maybe you've enjoyed, maybe you've enjoyed Jesus all your life and you need to reconnect with him on a deeper level. But I tell you. Jesus came here as a baby. He grew up and he lived all of life's problems at his time. And he made it through to the end, stumbling toward the cross the whole time. He wasn't stumbling, he was running towards the cross the whole time. We stumble. He put that cross up there for me and for you and he died on it to cover the curse of what we're due, which is death if we don't believe in him. God's word says, if I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he will save me. 
I won't have to endure a life of eternal death. I can live forever with him in glory. The song continues, and I'm sorry we don't have a minute to get there today. God was, Jesus was glorified once again. He got his crown back because of what he endured on the cross. And because he overcame death, you can overcome death too. No matter what you've done, no matter where you're at, no matter how old you are or how young you are, you can do it too. Let me pray before we do our our communion here. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for putting him, thank you for putting yourself in our skin. Thank you for the determination that you had to make it to the end. God, we've screwed things up. I've screwed things up. Father, but because you died and because you made it and because you arose again, you give us hope. No matter if we're sick or we're, we're sinning, we're living in sin, no matter what that is, Father, you've done this so that we could be redeemed and we can be brought back to you because you love us and we love you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.